Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you, dear, dear listeners. Welcome back to Floaters, the podcast where I talk to the culturally confused, like myself. Who am I, you ask? My name is Sophia, and I'm coming to you live from Studio Wardrobe. Now, not much waffle from me today, guys, but I did want to preface this chat by just letting you know, my dog pal Gus was present for some of this conversation that you're about to hear. And I let him in because he was a bit restless before recording and seemed to chill out while we were talking. But then the postman arrived and the rest you'll be able to hear. So I just wanted to warn you, give you a heads up that there will be a dog interruption along the way. This episode, you'll be hearing a conversation between myself and Sarah Subzakari. Her travels have taken her from Iran to the UK to Turkey, Canada and back to the UK again. Sarah was so open and generous with sharing her experiences she's had along the way to do with her mental health and well-being and also how she's found ways to emerge from the ebbs and flows that life has thrown at her. It was a pleasure, an absolute bloody privilege to speak with Sarah and I hope you guys enjoy. So... Without further ado, here is episode 25 with the radiant Sarah Subzakari. The first question I always ask my guests is, where did you grow up? Okay, you know, this is, this is a question that's taken me a couple of years to, to kind of formulate an answer for. So I was I was born in Iran, in Tehran. I'm Iranian, and both my parents are Iranian. Uh, but we didn't settle in Iran. My parents moved over to the UK when we moved. My brother and I were about. My brothers were, yeah. I have a twin brother. He's my age, obviously. I've also got an older brother, so I think the situation is probably a little bit different for him. Um, I was four when I moved to the UK, and my big brother, I think, was sixteen. So we definitely have two different sides to the story for sure. Uh, and then when we were. 14 um, my parents decided to take up a contract um, in Istanbul so my dad moved to Istanbul for work and we went with him um, so we're technically expats um, I don't know how I feel about that word necessarily but yeah we were expats in Istanbul for about four years and then um, when we had to decide which universities we wanted to go to we put ones in the UK because that was where we grew up the majority of our lives and uh, we moved back to the UK for university and have settled here. Um, so back and forth a little bit, but we're in we're in Surrey now. <laughs> <laughs> and um, with I Istanbul, did you end up going to international school while you were there? Yeah, I went to a British international school. Oh, yeah. cool! How was that for you? Oh gosh, I'm sure you could probably have some. Uh, you have similar experiences with um, British boarding school you said that you went to, didn't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was it was a uh, it was actually really refreshing. I'll be honest. I think going to a British high school or secondary school, I like slipped into the international vocab, but the secondary school in in England is um, it was quite rough. There are a lot of students, um, and I think there's a, it's very cliquey, and um, I think it wasn't very good for my brother and I's mental health. When we moved to Istanbul into this new international school, it was it's very small. It's a very small school. We had about 22 people, 22 kids in our class. Um, so very small. Sorry, not class, year, in our year. <laughs> and I think it was just really nice to 
be in a culture that was or two cultures that I could relate to so I could obviously relate to the Turkish culture being Iranian also I grew up in the UK so that that British you know it's quintessential to who I am um so it was really nice to be in the presence of both cultures mm-hmm. um obviously there's language barrier but in 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 the school we we all spoke English and our curriculum was pretty much aligned with the the UK one so mm-hmm. yeah it must have been like the perfect fusion for you almost in a way then to have them both there yeah honestly it was I, I couldn't have found myself in a better situation I'm so grateful that we made that move because it really played a part in in my identity and my cultural identity for sure mm-hmm. and so yeah. when you went off to university uh, what did you end up studying I chose biological sciences um and I think it's really you can see here but yeah it was a it was a uh good decision um I initially chose bio because it was a, it was a subject I procrastinated um I used to procrastinate from other subjects so I would just revise for bio whenever I got bored of econ or chemistry or something so that was that was my calling how about you um oh I studied I studied drama so I'm a, I'm a oh, theatre nice. geek um nice. and then I did my master's in playwriting so yeah massive mm-hmm. geek in terms of the, mm-hmm. the the theatrical side of things um but um, I wonder, has your um, degree, did that play a part in the sort of uh, role you find yourself in now? Oh, 100%. Yeah, definitely. Um, biology is, you can go in several different directions, but I think uh, a lot of people assume the sciences is very lab based. Um, and this is what I was afraid of leaving university. I was worried I was going to get caught up in a role that was very you know, technical because um, I didn't really like working in the lab. But I found myself working in, in policy that's very relevant. Um, to what's going on right now we um i work in the veterinary industry and um our overall aim as our team is to mitigate antimicrobial resistance in the veterinary industry and a lot of the knowledge that i have now is because of my degree i can apply it in a more in a different way which is great oh then it's totally fitting i should say to the listeners Mm -hmm. that we actually have a canine presence exactly exactly (laughs) exactly yeah, I won't quiz you on your antibiotic usage or anything, but... <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> awesome. Well, I wonder, let's take it all the way back, shall we? Let's take it all the way back. Um, so from your time in Tehran, um, you're obviously very small, but what do you remember of that time? I don't remember much, you know. I think I have, I have, I have like particular memories that have stuck with me. Um, but I don't really have many memories from Iran. I think I've, I've kind of, the transition moving from Tehran to, to London kind of muddled with my memories a little bit because it happened at a time where, you know, I, I, you know, a lot of people do develop memories at that age, but, um, I think I kind of looking back, I have the two places confused. So I know which memories are in Iran and which memories are in, in, in the UK, um, I just remember being surrounded by lots of family, which is something that I, I couldn't have when we moved back to, when we moved into the into London. Mm-hmm. And since leaving um, Iran, have you been able to go back um, to see family often? Or I mean, if it's, I mean, I know the past year that's mm. probably been nigh on impossible, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, have you found yeah. yourself going back um, a few times over the over the years? So when we initially moved, um, we went back a couple times um in the first couple years and then I think it kind of I think the last time I went back I was eight years old so it was 2007 
um, which was a, a long time ago. And uh, I haven't gone back since because of, you know, uh, the political circumstances and also, um, you know, renewing my passport, all these sorts of things. It's, it just kind of, it was in the back of my mind rather than something that I wanted to do straight away, um, which is another thing in itself. Uh, I'd love to go back. Uh, I first need to sort out my Iranian passport, need to renew it. Um, but yeah, the, as you probably know, the, the political circumstances are a little bit different um, there. So, mm. yeah. yeah. So I guess the feeling of or like the yeah going back would mean something a bit different, maybe, or there'd be a bit more weight yeah. added to the decision, perhaps. One hundred percent, and I think that's probably why I've put it off um, now that I am older and I can make these decisions for myself. That it has a new oh that was my stomach sorry <laughs> it has a it has a new weight to it um before I went with my family and it was you know I was going with them whereas this time I would be going by myself and that's a whole different scenario mm, yeah I mean would you I mean I don't know suppose you could ask like your brother to come with you I mean does your brother yeah. or do either of your brothers have any wishes to also yeah. go back at some point my big brother went back recently um, and I think he's he's good for now. He'll probably go back maybe in a couple of years time. Um, my my twin brother definitely wants to go back and I think um, he'll he'll go back as a, he'll do a tour of Iran, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad also wants to go back. He hasn't been back to his hometown in so many years, which is, it can be difficult for him. Um, but yeah, the, the there's more of a wish to go alone, I think. But I think that the annoying thing is, I think I just, I'm so disconnected that I think going alone would be quite difficult. I wouldn't know where to go. Obviously, I have family to stay with, but um, it's not the same for me as it is for my my parents. You know, that was their home, whereas for me, it's as if I'm going back as a tourist and it's difficult when you see a place as, as you know, as a tourist and you do as, as your home. Mm, yeah, it's, I, I kind of relate to that in that, you know, you're supposed to, yeah almost genetically you're supposed to be able to fit Mm. in but because of that distance yeah you you, you return as a tourist so yeah yeah, it's sort of not quite feeling at home um and I wonder like traveling to Iran um as a woman whether that carries even more um I've said weight already but I'll say it again Mm. if that carries (laughs) even more weight um than you know for perhaps your brothers uh, or your father Mm. returning Mm. You know what? I think a lot of people would expect me to say yes, but no, I don't think so. I think it's great that I have family there. Um, so it means I wouldn't be alone, but I I wouldn't feel, I think, any less, or I wouldn't feel that different to how my, how my brothers would probably feel going back to Iran. Um, I think there's a lot of, there, there are many, you know, presumptions about women's rights and, you know, how you navigate life as a woman in Iran, but uh it's a very it's quite nuanced in from a a western lens it's quite difficult to kind of understand what it is what it means to be an iranian woman you know Mm -hmm. so um even my understanding isn't 100 percent complete but i don't have any no i don't i don't have any fears or anything i think it could could be a very rewarding experience for me actually as a woman so yeah Mm. And when you went to school in London, then what are your memories? I mean, you've touched on it a little bit, but what are your mm. memories of going to school um, in London before making the move to Istanbul? Yeah. When I went to, when I lived in the UK, I was very conscious of my ethnicity and my culture. I live, I lived in, and I still, I 
come back to this place as well, um, a very middle-class white area. Um, and going to school, I was very, I was, I was made to feel different. And I, I was conscious of the fact that I was different for this reason. Um, so I don't have great memories of my secondary school in the UK. I have a very close friend that I've had, and she's not my sister, since I was 10. And we, we went through um, all our schooling stages together up until when I moved to Istanbul. So she's probably the sweetest memory that I have. But I think secondary school kids, are, as they are you know, everywhere, but especially in the one that I went to, were quite cruel. Um, and which is why it was so refreshing for, for us to leave and go to Istanbul. So, mm. Yeah, I mean, growing up and especially, you know, teenage years are difficult enough, let alone mm. when you've got the added sort of pressure of, yeah, these cliques. It's almost, it's almost political, isn't it, when yes. you're a teenager? <laughs> yep, yep, 100%. And that, you know, it's not the same. I mean, it's the same in the international school that I went to. It was very small. So and it's inevitable that cliques will form when you've got kids in, a, you know, a, a number of kids. And even if even our, our school considering how small it was we did have cliques like we had um it was very much i think looking back based on a little bit based on class i think a little bit based on um culture and, and ethnicity um so it was different but also the same but it wasn't as i think as harmful as it was in 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 the uk mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I hear a lot. I mean, because when I went to international school, I was still very young. I think it was between mm. the ages of four and eight. No, maybe mm -hmm. even younger than that. But yeah, so I was already exposed to all these different cultures, friends from all around the yeah. world. And I had it in reverse to you, I suppose. So I went to the UK and then all of a sudden people didn't know where certain countries were that I thought was just, mm. you know, basic knowledge. Because, yeah, my my friend was from India or my friend was from Sweden mm -hmm. and um, it was really odd. And then all of a sudden having to assimilate the sort of English culture quite quickly. Yeah. Um, and um, But I, I feel very, like, I think it's very... Um, not I feel very what's the right word Sophia I think it's great that um that you were able to find you know almost like your people when you yeah. got to Istanbul yeah well I think it's it's so important for kids to be around people that look like them and have a similar culture because that was revolutionary for me that changed everything it changed my the way I approach my identity the person that I grew into be it was so important for me to see people that looked like me and had similar, you know, cultural and cultural practices and traditions as me. Um, and, the, you know, I, I don't know if you can relate to this in any way, but, you know, I was very conscious of, for example, body hair, like tanning, all these sorts of things that would make me look different to the people, the, the kids that I had around me. Um, but whereas this wasn't the case in Istanbul, you know, like I, it was so easy for me to, you know, it was just so casual for me to go and get my eyebrows studied or my upper lip studied, you know, whereas here it was like a, now it's not the same, but back then it was, it was like a full on trick to find someone that could do my eyebrows for me. Or like, I always felt really embarrassed whenever I walked around with like a bright red forehead because I had all my <laughs> hairs pulled out and I was so conscious of it then. But in Istanbul, I was so, it was so casual. I was like, oh, you know, it's, it's normal here. It's okay here. I don't have to feel <laughs> singled out. Yeah. And I suppose, did you find, um, particularly in the UK, that there was a sort of duality to the way you were living your life? So there was like, um, 
yourself at school and then there was like the person you were at home yeah yeah 100 percent um my i grew up my dad was strict going growing up stricter than other dads in the uk um and so i i think i had to bless him he's great now but when I, when I was younger, you know, it was it, you know, the topic around like boyfriends and these sorts of things was, was kind of, it was a difficult one to have because, you know, I saw all these other girls who were so flexible with what they could do. Um, and then I had, you know, a, a stricter Iranian household. So I had to kind of navigate those situations differently. And it wasn't that I felt like different. I was still the same person, but the way I interacted with people was different um, outside versus in my own home. Um, and I, I definitely grew some resentment towards my my culture um, at that age because I just wanted to be like everyone else um, and I didn't really appreciate it. But looking back, my parents did a really good job raising me, um, I think. I mean, I, I hope so. I like the person I turned out to be. So, <laughs> so, so yeah. What about you? I, I guess would, would that apply for you then, that kind of duality? I guess so, yeah. And a slightly, yeah. It, it's really strange, I suppose, in terms of like, yeah, there was the person I was at school with my friends, mm. but then there was the added sort of um, added personality, perhaps, or identity of like, because even at school you were, there were different sort of groups and things. There was like the day students. So mm. the day girls would, you know, obviously they go home at the end of the day. Then there were the boarders. So I was definitely in the boarders category. And then like, even in that, in, in that sort of category, there are subcategories <laughs> where you fit in. Um, are you weekly boarder, flexi? And then of course, then there's the person who has to fly home and take a 14 hour flight to get home, um, yeah. you know, every three months or so. Um, mm. And so I think, yeah, I think maybe unhealthily, I, I put it on myself perhaps to be all these different people to try and fit in mm. with my friends or fit in with school, um, not kick up too much of a fuss here and there. Um, because despite being interested in drama and stuff, I hated like, I hated too much attention on, um, I think me socially, like I just wanted mm. my friends. I liked my friends, but then like it was too mm -hmm. much attention socially. It was a bit, bit, bit odd for me. I think I'm still the same or even more so. Maybe lockdowns like heightened that now. Yeah people that's too many people <laughs> yeah no that's relatable especially now defo oh, oh, <laughs> oh god do you know i've gone so red now i'm so i don't i'm so embarrassed uh, now <laughs> i can't i really can't tell when i go red my cheeks go red but then I, my neck goes red as well so i don't really know oh. like so if i go red just ignore it just <laughs> Oh, honestly, this is one of the things that I got taken the piss out of at school. Like I was the rosy cheeked kid and I don't know if oh, it's like the so English cute. side of me or if it's yeah. the German side, but I'd always, they always be like, oh my God, why are you so red? And I'm like, it's PE, mate. It's hard work. Like, <laughs> what's wrong with you? I find blushing so endearing. Um, I think it's so beautiful. Oh, well, thank you. That makes me feel mm. a lot better. <laughs> Um, I was going to talk about, um, actually, you reminded me of um, when you were talking about things like um, like hair removal and like things you were mm. quite conscious of. Um, I listened recently to, um, do you know the podcast I Way with Jamila Jamil? I've heard of it. I haven't listened to them yet. So. But there's, she's... Um, She's great. I love Jamila Jamil, but I listened to the one recently mm -hmm. with Kelly Rowland and um, who is just an icon just full yeah. stop um and she was talking about um 
her her blackness and especially like being a darker skinned uh black woman and how she'd be mm-hmm. afraid to like go into the sun because she didn't want to be darker mm-hmm. and um things like that and being picked on for yeah being the darker one out of destiny's child and mm-hmm. sorry just what you said reminded me of of that mm-hmm. and like trying to sort of yeah maybe you know be a bit more secretive about how you want mm-hmm. to look after yourself or like um just things just mm-hmm. general sort of maintenance if that's what you're what you want to do um but yeah and then i guess yeah in istanbul that wasn't so much of a wasn't so much of an issue you were just able to you know be free as it were yeah yes 100% you know what i think we internalize a lot of the discrimination that we see and we try and distance ourselves from it and i think for me hair removal like it being obvious that I've removed, you know, like my facial hair or like tan, tanning myself or just tanning from the sun, like I tan really easily. I think I, if being like, you know, having that close proximity to whiteness was what kind of I felt like was protecting me. Um, and whether it was that deep in the eyes of others or not, I don't know, but it's something that I internalized and I don't think it came from any, like nowhere. I think it came from some it came from something, it came from my experiences, it came from my interactions, you know. Um, and I think while I, I wasn't really bullied for anything in particular, my my ethnicity and the fact that I, I wasn't white, or I'm not white, was something that I carried with me um, until I moved to Istanbul and that, that kind of changed and, yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad about that. I really look back and I'm so happy that my like my inner child was able to experience that because I know a lot, a lot of kids don't. Um, and it makes me sad when I think about that. Yeah. No, and I wonder then when you got to um when you got to university, what was that like mm. for you? Were you at a university where you were exposed to lots more different kinds of people, much like international school, or was mm. it um was it quite a white university? Uh, UEA, University of Sangri, it was very white when I first joined. <laughs> it was very white um, and it changed throughout the years. I'm not really sure why. I think the, the scenes in Norwich started to change a little bit. Um, but I remember, I remember when I first came back to the UK, it was so strange hearing people speak English around me. I felt like I still, but I still didn't feel like there. I still didn't feel like part of, I didn't feel entirely British, you know. I felt like I was someone who was international that could speak English fluently or English was, I, I don't know whether it's my mother tongue, it's, that's a whole other thing. But um, it was strange coming back. And because I came back just before university started, I came back the summer before. It was kind of like having another culture shock again. It was so weird because I'd come back to the UK. Uh, during my time in Istanbul anyway so it wasn't like this is the first time I was back in in Surrey since 2011 or something um but it was just kind of readjusting myself to like British culture was really it's very strange (laughs) yeah I suppose because you encapsulate like in your memory I suppose you know a certain kind of culture associated with you know a certain country or a place and then Mm -hmm. um I suppose returning to it in you know after a few years or something but yeah that you're right that is a culture shock in itself because it's not quite what you remember but it's sort of familiar yeah and it's the same you know going back to Istanbul it made me really sad the last time I went back um because I felt like a tourist and it's like a you know everywhere you go is so it's so dynamic it's always constantly changing and um this is a big part of you know immigrant immigrant um 
lives is that when you leave a country, you move to another country with the culture and the, um, you know, the traditions and the, I guess, whatever, whatever you, you move to another country with, with what, how that country currently stands. And then when you move back to it, you've remained how you are, you know, you've probably adjusted to the cultures around you, but you, those, those quintessential like values and whatever you carried with you haven't really evolved in the same way that they have back home. So when you go back home, you're like, Oh my God, like, can I even call myself Iranian anymore? You know, I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm basically a walking time machine. Um, and it feels like that whenever I go back to wherever I considered a home previously. And it's like something I've definitely had to accept. It's just like, uh, you know, um, I can't just go back to Istanbul, move back there and expect things, my, my lived experiences to be constantly validated because it's different, you know. Mm-hmm. Everywhere changes. The political landscape changes. The way people interact change. Like, especially in, in communities, um, like in, in my community, um, we socialise so much. It's not on an individual basis. So when there is a change in th- that society, it, it's a rapid change across everyone, I think. Mm. um so yeah yeah I totally relate to that actually like the other day I found myself listening to some music that I was really into when we were living in Colombia and it's a Mm. Colombian artist and it's a particular album like I know all the words I know all the songs (laughs) and you know and then it hit me I was like oh my god that's like more than 10 years ago now like I don't know what this dude is up to like this particular (laughs) musician or like and then I listened to some of the new stuff and I was like that's not no, 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 that, mm. that's, that's not the Juanes I know. Like, no. <laughs> it's like, I'm just stuck in that sort of, that time, like, like you say, like a time machine. And, um, yeah. and actually, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I, I once, uh, a couple of times, actually, we, we went back to Estonia the house we used to live in uh we went there no one had lived there since we'd left and I think when we visited it it had been about 10 years and it was so sad to see like like slats from the roof coming off and like no one had tended to like like all the wood varnish it just like all crumbled Mm. and it was it was Uh. so sad to see like yeah the passing of time in that way and also yeah it just wasn't it was like my child one of my childhood homes so it's like it's oh that's so weird it's just completely gone like it wasn't how I remembered it at all but yeah I suppose you just you carry that with you that sort of um, very unique um, path or that unique well I like to say cocktail as well unique cocktail (laughs) of all these different experiences for sure Um, yeah and uh but oh, I was going to ask as well. So, how come you ended up in Vancouver? What what led to that? Um, <laughs> wow, I, that that the, those nine months that I spent in Vancouver was so precious. I met so many beautiful people, and one person I really hold uh, close to my heart. Her name is um, Gabby. I'll talk about our, our friendship a little bit after. But um, I had the opportunity to study abroad. Uh, in my university and I think that was that was one of the reasons why I chose to go to UEA Um, and UBC University of British Columbia was a university that I actually wanted to go to before I applied to British universities UK universities so when I saw that it was on the list I was so excited I was so ready to just put my name down and just fly out there straight away Um, but I knew about the university I didn't know about Vancouver I hadn't really looked into Vancouver I just I just knew about yeah I just knew about the university it's it's a huge university there's something like 60,000 students so that in itself was completely different to what I was used to I went from like a 
a really small uh, secondary school in, in Istanbul to like a medium sized university in the UK to like a pretty much a whole city of students in <laughs> Vancouver. And um, yeah, I applied, I, I got in, which is great. Didn't think I was going to get in. And I flew out there on yeah 1st of September till um, end of April. Uh, and I studied there and I think I didn't have a great first year of university. I really struggled with my mental health. So this was an opportunity for me to kind of relive the carelessness that I kind of didn't get to get, didn't get to embody in my first year of uni. Um, so I'm pretty sure I failed one of my modules. <laughs> Don't know. That goes to show like how much I, I probably didn't focus on my studies as I was out there. Um, but yeah, it was a great time. Great time. Well, then it was definitely all worth it. I mean, everyone's failed yeah. a module or two, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all good, all good. Yeah, I wonder what was that first year, um, or how do you remember that that first year then? And what were the sort of mm. moments that um, that sort of made it, or did you find like a turning point within it? Um, mm. does, does that make sense? That, yeah, 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 no, it does. Um, so my my mental health i hadn't really had mental health issues i didn't really recognize my mental health issues growing up um mental health is is very it's a very new topic for a lot of communities even in the uk um so my family weren't as aware of mental health just well-being in, in general um so i think growing up i was quite like anxious but I didn't know what anxiety was and I didn't think it encom encompassed like how I felt because you know I was very loud and proud uh, as a kid and I associated anxiety to you know being more timid and uh, you know introverted so my understanding of anxiety was completely different it wasn't until my first year where I really slipped into yeah I slipped into depression um and I didn't know what it was. And because I didn't know what it was, it was making me anxious. I had a, a, a mixture of anxiety and depression during my first year. And it was so difficult. And I, I, I'm not really sure why it started. I think it was because I, I had to, I was really close to my, my brother. Um, and suddenly I had to focus on myself entirely. And that was really, really difficult for me. Um, and I don't know why I just struggled to to be me. I struggled to kind of socialize as my own authentic person I remember looking in the mirror as I was putting makeup on and I I just start crying because I didn't I didn't know who I was I didn't know what was happening to me I was so confused and I was so lost and it didn't help with the feelings of, of being depressed um and then I remember the summer it started to get better and you know, I had I had a I entered a relationship in my first year that was a little bit you know problematic and we're, we're all so young. We all have like toxic tendencies when we're younger. Um, and I didn't, it wasn't until the summer after the first year of uni, just before the second year of uni, I remember just, just crying and, and feeling so anxious. Like what's happened to me? Like this wasn't me. What happened to my personality? Like my bubbly outgoing nature. Um, and I think as soon as I started to come to terms with it and I didn't read self-help books back then, I didn't know anything about depression. I didn't even Google it, which is something that I'm happy I didn't do because I do it now and I go on a spiral, like health anxiety is a whole different thing. But um, I, the way I got out of it, which is I'm so grateful for how resilient I was back then because uh, I didn't talk to anyone properly about it and it, it just kind of sat with it. And I decided like, okay, you know what? 
I'm going to try and make myself feel better. So I remember for like a solid four weeks, I'd wake up every morning and I would look look at myself in the mirror and I would tell myself, like as, I, as if I was speaking to myself, three things that I loved about myself and three things that I wanted to improve. And it could be anything. Like I, you know, I would say like, oh, I love my hair today. I love, you know, how compassionate I can be. Um, and then I would say something like, uh, I want to make sure that I paint my nails today or I want to prioritize my boundaries and friendships and all these sorts of things. And that was revolutionary for me. That changed everything. And it was a, a journey that I went on by myself. I don't. I had beautiful and lovely friends and family, but I, I never invited them in um, to those conversations. So when I look back now, I feel so shocked that I was able to do that all by myself. Mm. And so grateful as well. So. Yeah. Which is why Vancouver was such a great time for me was because I, I could finally, I didn't have that numbness. I had the energy to do what I wanted to do. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> mm. And I wonder, like, with, uh, I mean, it's a very, it, it, it's a great sort of testament to yourself that you were able to find, you know, yeah, that resilience within yourself mm. um, and the and the will to, to change things for yourself and make them better um mm -hmm. and uh I wonder that what was it that that made you want to hide that from your friends and family or your family mm -hmm. in particular um my I think we were going through a difficult transition back then when I moved back to uni um you know both my brother and I moved out and it was difficult. My my dad lived abroad, um, and my my mum was obviously at, at home in the UK. Um, and uh, I say obviously, my parents separated <laughs> when we were in Istanbul, so there's confusion there. But yeah, so my parents were were far away from me, and um, I didn't really want to. I didn't understand what was happening, but I don't think I really wanted to burden anyone with my mental, my mental well-being. And I think I, looking back at uh, my friends knew that something was happening, but I don't think I was ready to have them. I, I, was, I wasn't ready to accept help from anyone but myself. Um, so it wasn't that they were unaware. It was maybe that they, they understood that, you know, that I'm going through something and I know that they're there for when mm. I'm ready to, to talk about it. Um, and eventually I did talk about it with them. And it's because, you know, when I did talk about it, it was because I recognised that there was actually something wrong. I just thought there was something wrong with me. I didn't think that there was something to do with my mental well-being. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I could definitely relate to that. I think uh, I think I started feeling the sort of same sort of feelings of depression and anxiety mm. when I was in boarding school. And mm. it, when I think about it now, it's it's been a really long time of like dealing with this on my own. And only in the recent years have I decided to start talking about it a bit more. And mm. I think I think yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there. I never thought about perhaps distance was the reason why I never disclosed a lot of how I was feeling uh, mm. to my family or parents and. Um, all parents they are my family <laughs> just like an added extra you know parents um but uh recently I did the stupid thing that I don't think any millennial really should do but I downloaded TikTok right and oh yeah listen listen I wanted to see what the fuss was about oh and, 
hours, hours of my time gone, just gone, right? And TikTok, the messages it's sending me are, you are depressed, you have anxiety, you have ADHD, and maybe you have some other undisclosed things. And I was like, oh no, the algorithms are not doing anything for my mental health right now. (laughs) I've got that full on like anxiety now about like everything. (laughs) It's terrible. Oh, that's too relatable. I love TikTok, but definitely you spiral so much on those apps. It's so difficult to get out of it. Yeah, <laughs> just go further and further down the down the um, down the infinity Rabbit pool. Hole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Um, but uh, yeah, well, thank you for being open about that. And um, mm-hmm. I know it must be you know it's not an easy time to go through. But thank you so much for mm-hmm. taking the time to to reflect on the podcast um about it all um so let's talk about where you are now um so uh what is it that you um do where is your yeah where is your life taking you now so I after I left university it took me a good couple months for me to find a full-time job actually I started looking for jobs um in May of 2019 so while I was still at uni and I was preparing for exams and I didn't stop until I got the job that I'm currently in now. Um, and it was a difficult, it was difficult for sure. I think a lot of people um, post-university, like no one tells you about how, how hard it's going to be. No one tells you about this sudden feeling of like existentialism that hits you, you know. Um, and you can think about your career all you want throughout university. But when you actually have to put your mind to it and, and you have to deal with all the rejections that you're getting, it's a whole different scenario um so I was I was a I was a teaching assistant for um a couple months before I got my job in the civil service and um I hated being a teaching assistant so much it honestly I I used to wake up angry I used to wake up so angry I used to go to bed angry knowing that I had to wake up the next day and have to do the same thing um and kids are great but it's just I just couldn't connect with that job at all and I knew it's because I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do um so I luckily got this job at in the civil service I work um, in a team in a in the veterinary industry and the overall aim of my team is to mitigate the risk of antimicrobial resistance so it, it could you know antimicrobial resistance could be a whole potential other pandemic that comes out so that but that's a that's a slow burning thing and I, I think a lot of you know it's it's uh it's a topic on a lot of countries agendas at the moment and um, especially after covid has kind of reevaluated our approach to global health issues um so i've i've been at this job i started in a, a more technical role so i was working with data and now i work on the policy side of um of that team which has been very rewarding and i'm very i'm very much enjoying it um, I'm living alone currently in the uh, town that I grew up in before I moved to Istanbul, um, which ha- actually I think was good. I needed a familiar space. I, don't, I think when you have too many new things hitting you at once, it's great if you can adapt to it all at once. But I think in, um, especially in a pandemic, we need, we need some familiarity. We need to feel some sort of stability. Um, and I think, you know, having my family, I've got my aunt near me and I've got my big brother and sister-in-law um, and their, their little baby <laughs> near me, uh, which is great. Um, so that's where I'm at now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm hoping to move closer into the into the city, into London. And that's what everyone says. Let's see if it actually happens or not. Um, 
in the next couple of years. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. How well, about you? Well, well. So I'm sort of at a similar point where I'm thinking, mm-hmm. oh, maybe I want to go back to London because mm-hmm. as regular listeners will know, I don't shut up about it. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but then, of course, with the pandemic, um, you know, that little thing. Um, I'm yeah. wondering if that's the best place <laughs> to be right now. And mm-hmm. a lot of my friends have actually moved out of the city for all sorts of reasons. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. But all I know is that I don't think Wiltshire is the place for me I think <laughs> it's a little too sleepy for me um mm. but it's just a matter of figuring out my next steps and where I want to go and why I want to go there and what it's what it's got to offer uh for mm-hmm. me but I think yeah this this um like COVID is really allowed for a time of reflection and reevaluating um for a lot of people for a lot of reasons um mm-hmm. and uh yeah I just I'm still figuring it out but you know aren't we all? all? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I wonder then on the scale of like, actually, before I get to that, I wanted to ask you about, um, familiar, familiarity. Did I say Mm -hmm. that right? Oh my God. You know what? I didn't even know if I said it right. So (laughs) I know what you mean. I'm like, maybe do I need another coffee? Like, um, (laughs) Um, but uh, that's such an important thing. I think I hadn't even thought about like during a pandemic, how you like having that sort of security blanket in a way, um, mm. because of course the pandemic has affected a lot of people's mental health mm. and um, uh, it's such an important thing. It really is. I mean, um, mm. have you been able then to yeah connect with your family locally socially distanced of course we should say um but um yeah have you been able to do that throughout yes so um both my parents are living abroad initially when the pandemic started Uh, my my mum's back in the UK now my dad is still abroad which is which was difficult like I I miss my dad so much um I'm lucky I'm able to see my mum more often now but I can't see my dad as often as I'd like obviously because of the um the issue with travel but I have my wonderful aunt and my amazing big brother and sister-in-law and their and my new nephew <laughs> around with me which has been really great um and I think because I'm in Walton which is where I essentially grew up with my family it kind of feels like I have my a sense of family around me um hence the familiarity <laughs> You know, when you think of a word too much and it just doesn't come out. Yeah, that's what I'm doing now. Um, so, yeah, and I'm, I'm really, I'm glad and I'm grateful that I have my family around me because I know a lot of people don't at the moment and everyone's going through a lot of, you know, every, it's difficult for everyone, but especially for those who have they've lost family as well mm. and people that they love. Um, and luckily, you know, touch wood, I, I, that's not an experience that I have, um, but unfortunately I'm not able to see my dad as much as I'd like um mm. so hopefully when things start to improve that will change but you never know with it's a, it's a virus you can't can't really control it or predict what's going to happen so mm. yeah hopefully it'll be fine yeah I guess we'll we'll see we'll see mm-hmm. um and uh and I guess um on the rooted to restless scale would you say mm-hmm. you are more rooted now or are you still I mean because you've got like London plans teetering in the back of your mind like would mm. you say you're a bit more restless 
you know, I, I was restless before, but now I feel rooted, not, not in terms of my location, um, but in myself. I was, I, I went through a breakup in the pandemic and I've managed to kind of become my authentic self, you know, I've really grown into myself and I'm able to do things that I didn't know I wanted to do, but now I want to do, you know, I, oh, sorry, battery. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> um, my hair was so long, for example, and my hair was um, a key part with me connecting to, sounds silly, but like my identity, my culture, who I was, who I am, because, uh, and I had, like, my, my hair was beautiful, long, you know, it was, it was my comfort blanket. Um, and then I just decided to cut it all off. And I went to, obviously, you can see I've got really short hair now. Um, and it kind of, it gave me the opportunity to let go of a, of a lot of things that didn't serve me anymore. Uh, and I'm so glad that I, I did it. I'm so glad that I'm continuing to do this and I'm allowing myself to grow into who I want to be. And I guess when you're so used to moving around, you don't feel rooted anymore in your location. You feel rooted in who you are and the people that you have around you. And that's that's what I'm experiencing right now. And I know, you know, change will come for everyone. I'm, you're going to definitely be moving elsewhere. I think it's in, it's in our nature too. Um, well, I'm not sure I'm making that assumption. Please correct me if I'm wrong. But I think we, we all we all will have such, you know, we'll have amazing opportunities ahead. And if we find ourselves in areas that we don't really, we didn't anticipate, that's absolutely fine because eventually you learn to let go of location um, and your immediate surroundings when when you when you come to think of feeling content and happy. It's a it's a huge player. It's a huge part of it, but it doesn't play as huge of a part now in my head as it did before. Mm, yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, I, I think sometimes about, um, when I think about like, yeah, not feeling, you know, rooted geographically, I think about a mm. little anecdote for you. I was once, mm. uh, once there was a mouse in our kitchen. Let's start with that. There's a mouse <laughs> in our kitchen and there was, and the mouse had like basically just shat on everything my sister owned because my sister was going through all her boxes from London and stuff and she started like she was hysterical she was crying and laughing at the same time and she started throwing all of her things away she's like they're just things they're just things I could buy more things and I was like and now I'm thinking she's right you know they are just things you don't need brick walls you don't need a house as long as you're so that was a really long-winded way of saying I agree. No, it's so true. <laughs> it's so true. I feel like we all have moments where we act on impulse or we just throw something away or we just disconnect from something or like cut something off. Um, and I think that those, I think a lot of people don't invite those impulsive moments, but I think it's so great too, because I navigate so much of my life being indecisive. And when you think about stuff like location, I can't even think of like, I spent months questioning whether I should cut my hair or not so even the thought of moving elsewhere moving into you know different role different location acting on impulse can actually be you know doing it unapologetically it can actually be one of the, the greatest things that you can do for yourself for sure mm-hmm. um, so I don't know if you're indecisive in your day-to-day but I don't know if you can relate but it's something that I'm trying to do more often 
Yeah, no, definitely. I am definitely indecisive. I, I'm, I'm, I was the same with my hair in terms of coloring it. I was like, for years, oh. I was like, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna make it bright pink one day, just bright pink. And then I did, and now I'm on purple. Like I'm just going through this I this moment. It. I mean, I was like, it's a pandemic. I'm not going anywhere. If now's the time to do it, now's the time to do it. So yeah. here we are. I mean, it's slightly questionable at the moment because, like yourself, I just got it cut short. And you know, when you just get it cut short, and like, and you just wash it and it's like it doesn't know what it's doing you're figuring it out you're getting to know each other yeah I love your hair though and you know what that's too relatable I I can't I got my hair cut yesterday it was a little bit longer than this and I'm just avoiding just washing my hair like I bought dry shampoo as well because I was just trying to make it last for as long as I can especially if I'm going to be seeing people out and about um <laughs> but yeah short hair I think is and one of the things I'm trying to do, and I don't know if you if you can relate, but trying to redefine what femininity means to me. I'm trying to redefine um, what being a woman means to me. And I think we can evolve in, in our femininity. We can evolve in sort of characteristics that we we want to... I mean, I don't, I don't think it's, you know, I don't think in, in, in as binary as like, this is a feminine feature and this is a masculine feature. And I think this, it's ludicrous to try and do that with anything. Um, but I'm trying to let go of what I used to associate to femininity. So long hair. Um, I think for a couple of months, I just grab my eyebrows and I have like a beautiful monobrow when I do grow it out. And it was great. I had a great time. I forgot that it was there because and I forgot what my eyebrows looked like as well. I'd spent so many years threading and plucking them myself. I just forgot what my my natural eyebrows look like and <laughs> it was so great to just have them out and I felt like they were my friends like I would just stroke it like oh I'm so glad that you're here <laughs> I love yeah. that I love that getting to know yourself again I love that and yeah I think that's important to like you know define what that femininity means for you or like because yeah. do you know what this is a tangent um but for years I would sort of change the way I dress in order like depending on where I was going and which route mm -hmm. I was taking so that I wouldn't uh, attract any kind of attention that was unsolicited so, and I'd even change the way I walk I realized this mm -hmm. very recently I would make my stance a bit wider and I'm, I'm quite I suppose I'm fairly tall for a girl I'm like 5'10 but I try and make myself taller and broader mm -hmm. and just things like that and then I think to myself well while that's self-preservation in a certain way it's mm -hmm. also that's shit that's so shit <laughs> Like, yeah. like, why should I have to do that? And why should I have to worry about where, what color my fucking hair is? Or like, yeah. if I decide to wear makeup today or not? Like I would actively avoid wearing makeup sometimes because I was like, mm -hmm. I don't want to attract any attention. So fucking mm -hmm. stupid. But yeah, I guess this time, I'm so glad that you've found this time to, yeah, rediscover yourself and mm -hmm. have this moment of just blooming like this blooming mm -hmm. brilliance that's like mm -hmm. just just radiating off radiating off you right now through the screen oh, it's just it's you. so lovely to see um and this um evolution um i'll round off our conversation today by asking mm -hmm. if there's anything you would like to plug or promote yes not with my own um my own self but actually i have two amazing friends who are working super super hard in their content um one of them is my friend Kiki, uh, her food blog, which is absolutely amazing. She, she puts so much 
effort and like heart and soul into the food that she makes it's called the ethiopian foodie on instagram and my um my other friend who actually i met in canada her name is gabby gabrielle and her um her her music career is her music is absolutely amazing and i'm so excited for everyone to hear that the product project that she's got um in the works i'm not sure if i'm allowed to say that but <laughs> her name is bad bitch gabby um uh babish so b bad and then b i c h and she's both these two individuals huge huge like key players in my life and how i navigate the world i love them so much and they just their content is so refreshing and so amazing so if anyone else is interested definitely give them a look up do you know i've definitely already checked out kiki's page and yeah. no word of a lie i was like literally drooling when i was looking through oh. i was like damn this this shouldn't be allowed oh. like this really honestly. shouldn't be allowed honestly and i think the reason why i love both of their content is because they tap into centrality in a way that we sometimes struggle to um kiki and with the food that she makes and and bad bitch with the with the amazing music like I can't, I'm not even allowed to, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to just describe this next project, but I'm so excited, so excited for everyone to hear it. Um, yeah. Well, I think I'll a lot of people, are, yeah. Oh, sorry. sorry. I was going to say a lot of people have been able to make amazing content like yourself during the pandemic. And I think it's, it's great. I also have an art Instagram account, but don't know if it's uh, as great. <laughs> I'm not as consistent with it. So I'm not like trying to promote here or anything. Um, in fact, you can just cut this part out. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Are you sure? I don't mind. I could put it in the show notes if you like. Maybe in the, oh, sorry. Maybe in the show notes, but I'm not as like these Kiki and Gabby are absolutely amazing with their content. I don't think I'm at a place to share mine yet. So oh, just... bless you. I'm sure <laughs> I can just hear their voices now going, no, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> You feel more rooted in who you are and the people around you. I'm going to remember that. That's a Sarah Subsakari original quote, that. That's something that should be like on um, on hoodies. No, not hoodies, maybe. On tote bags. Or t-shirts. Actually, do you know what? Hoodies as well. Mugs while you're at it. There's a whole range in there. A whole range. Thank you so much, Sarah, for sitting down and chatting with me. And as always... I've popped all the social medias, um, including Sarah's, in the show notes. You can also find um, Bad Bish Gabby's there as well that she mentioned. I've since also checked out Gabby's music and I am in love with her sound. It's, it, I'm trying to think of how to describe it. It's definitely a vibe. If you listen to it, you know what I mean. It's definitely a vibe. And there's also going to be a link to the Ethiopian foodie, um, which Sarah also mentioned, and who I also happen to be interviewing and talking to on next week's episode, guys. So stay tuned for that. And um, as always, please like, rate, review, comment and subscribe. And wherever you listen, please make sure to give us five stars, five stars if you please. And if you want to keep up to date with all things floaters, give us a follow on Instagram. We're at floaters underscore podcast. And uh, we've also got an email. Don't know if I mentioned it's floaterspod at gmail.com. Right, guys, uh, there is nothing left to say from me other than 
Thanks once again to Sarah for sitting down and chatting with me. Thank you to Adora for your help with graphics and Aral for your sound help. Please go check out his website. It's in the show notes, but just in case you can't get there, it's aralbar.com. And thank you to you, dear, dear listener. Until next time. Bye-bye.